Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Let's say you, Richard Ellick Murdoch, are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay? And the whole point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. Welcome back to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch Murders Money and Mystery. We have chosen a jury for Alec Murdoch's murder trial. It happened today. It happened uh, earlier on uh, this afternoon before we got to our opening statements. I want to tell you what that jury looks like. We have 12 people on the actual jury, four white females, two black females, four white males, and then the alternates that were chosen. We have six people for the alternates. It's two black females, one black male, and three white males. Uh, I wanted to let you guys know that this jury is has seated, and we are now into, uh, had our opening statements today on both the state and the defense. And to break it all down with me today, I have our exclusive legal analyst, South Carolina's former attorney general, Charlie Condon, and we have Drew Tripp here off um, off camera. The voice off camera. The voice off camera. Uh, Drew Tripp, our executive producer for the podcast. And of course, uh, Maxwell Harrison is uh, keeping us all straight with production today. So I really want to jump into it. So much happened today. Uh, a lot of unexpected moments of, uh, of drama mm-hmm. started unfolding. Let's just go straight into what the prosecution had to say Um Actually, before we do that, I have to say, uh, it just, it, it would be remiss if we didn't talk about who was there. The family. Yes. The family. And we were um, right behind them. And, and we were literally sitting right behind them. If you have seen any of the live stream of what was going on today, uh, right in front of uh, the two of us, uh, the entire, not the entire, but a, uh, a strong showing for the Alec Murdoch family. It was Lynn Murdoch, who we had seen the day before. And then Buster Murdoch, his only living son, was there. His brothers, John Marvin, his other brother, Randy, and uh, spouses, girlfriends. It filled up the pew. It was impressive. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of interaction at points in time between Alec Murdoch and his family. It was very interesting to see how they were they were communicating as well. Uh, it definitely felt like uh, there was a lot of emotion. Uh, Lynn was kind of mouthing to Alec to say hello. He was saying, thank you for being here. We were hearing from 
he was talking to Buster. It was just very interesting mm-hmm. to see. And this was all taking place as they were about to hear the statements. And these were not easy things to listen to. Let's listen to what Creighton Waters said as he got into the prosecution's uh, opening statements. His son, Paul Murdoch, was standing in a small feed room in some kennels they had on the property. About 8.50 p.m., and the defendant over there, Alec Murdoch, took a 12-shade shotgun and shot him in the shoulder, in the chest and the shoulder, with buckshot. And the evidence is going to show it was a million-to-one shot. He could have survived that, but after that, another shot went up under his head and did catastrophic damage. Just moments later, he picked up a 300 blackout which is a type of ammunition, but an AR-style rifle. And the evidence is going to show that the family had multiple weapons throughout the property, picked up that 300 blackout rifle, and opened fire on his wife, Maggie, just feet away. Oh, so that was really quite shocking to hear all of these details. We had been kind of going around this evidence for a while. Yes. But we really hadn't heard some of these details. How methodical mm-hmm. it was all right in the order of killings That's started correct. with the kennels which i think the state's going to rely on relative to the defendant saying apparently multiple times he was never at the kennels it started there and the defense uh, the state then alleges after the kennels and you know the, the slang there it just had to be so gruesome but then the rifle killing of maggie his wife after that and so they put out a a seen a timeline which we get into that but they had very specific timelines of when this happened and they claimed they'll be able to prove with cell phone evidence and others very scientific forensic evidence of where people were located when where and how which really to my way of thinking if they can prove that it kills the alibi that this defendant might otherwise have had and that alibi being we heard them say today that alec reportedly told law enforcement or had said in statements that he gave throughout this initially that he had been up at the house taking a nap after dinner when this all happened and was never at the scene, hadn't even been to the dog kennels where the murders occurred. And yet today we learn more about that video. The, uh, the video that apparently was taken on Paul's phone, a Snapchat video sent out 8.44 p.m. It shows Alec in the background talking to Maggie, and they said within three minutes of that video being sent out, the murders occurred. The state said that's, mm-hmm. what, that's how quickly after the fact that the murders would have occurred, about 8.49, 8.50 p.m. Well, and so let's go listen to what um, the defense has to say because they're mm-hmm. saying, hey, hold on. The, no matter what you see, they completely go in another direction, first of all, Don't we think. have to say. Like, the defense looks at that cell phone video and says, not not only is this not back, backing up what the prosecution says, it's really showing us what a loving and happy family everyone yes, is, right? They do. That's the claim by the defense. And I thought the effectiveness was they want to see what the evidence is, but at the same time, they want to poke holes and openings. So they didn't really commit themselves to what I would call a theme, like there was another killer we're going to prove someone did it, or there was uh, a way to explain these killings. They simply laid out the implausibility of the state's theory that had this loving family, 
and they were happy. Something about the trees or looking at trees an hour early. Like one of the trees had fall, mm-hmm. uh, had uh, planted trees. Yeah, yeah, and so everyone's happy. So how could they possibly think that someone would then the father who loves his son, loves his wife, would commit these? And I must say, the brutality of these killings. Uh, let's talk about that because you know. <laughs> Right. I've prosecuted many, many murder cases. Have been involved in in, in uh, defense of, of 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 some, and so in terms of ranking this and accusing somebody of the types of slaying that did occur, with one person being alleged to have done it, it would take a tremendous amount of premeditation, planning. And we're talking about someone who is accused of doing this to the, his wife and his son. That is shocking. Just to me, it's just shocking. And so I think the state has a real problem overcoming the shocking nature of that because it's so against everyone's experience. Well, and, and, and Harbutlian kept on saying that's the defense attorney that was doing the opening statements for Alec Murdoch today. Harbutlian was saying to the jury, Remember what your charge is. Mm-hmm. This man is not guilty and had Alec mm-hmm. actually stand up. You know, this Alec Murdoch, he's not guilty. And he was they were he was saying he that he has to it. be presumed right. innocent. Didn't Sorry. That he didn't do it. He, he mm-hmm. had to be presumed innocent, mm-hmm. which I thought mm-hmm. was very powerful. It was. And and I think the, the, the storm theme that the state had, they need that because we haven't the motive. If you don't have this motive evidence in at any point in this trial, I do think that the argument that this makes no sense is very, very effective. And I thought the way the state handled that relative to saying they didn't commit to it being introduced. They committed, though, to a storm and things coming in upon the defendant. And so they left open this this ability to explain motive without committing to motive. And so I thought that was, from a legal standpoint, uh, wise. Because if he'd launched into, which they could have, they could have launched into financial crimes, this is the motive, and if the judge didn't allow that in, mistrial. So I thought that was the, the, the right way to handle it. So interesting. So, yeah, so the, the motive that we've been listening you know, to in all of these pretrial motions, all that we've been privy to mm-hmm. about the 99 financial crimes, um, we, were, we, we were all sort of waiting for, for Creighton Waters to go that extra mile and say one more thing, but, but he really foreshadowed it and left it. That's a good to, word, for foreshadowed. The, for, the, for, for the time mm-hmm. to come. Mm-hmm. I want to go to the defense. Um, uh, Dick Harputlian talks about what he thinks, why he thinks his, the defendant was um, telling the same stories in the video statements mm-hmm. that were mm-hmm. given, which mm-hmm. we're supposed to hear first thing tomorrow morning. I guess the audio video visual equipment went down today, um, which was a kind of a blow for the prosecution to not be able to get their arguments started. It it slowed things up in a way, but I thought that the the stage being set so dramatically with the opening statement and then just kind of taking a break for the day, and the state wants to, you know, uh, experience in prosecution, you want to start off with a really strong witness. Well, boy, have they got a strong witness. Apparently the cell phone footage is going to be uh, I mean, not the cell phone, the, the footage, body camera. The, the body cameras, thank you, uh, that, 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 that they're going to produce is going to be riveting. And the defendant apparently saying, as I take it, right, that he wasn't at the kennel. That he wasn't there. That's what, I mean, that's what, certainly the prosecution was leading us to think that. Okay, so 
uh, Dick Harputlian is setting us up because he knows that this body camera video is not going gonna, not gonna to help the alibi, I guess. Um, so let's hear what the defense has to say about why uh, Alec Murdoch's, maybe his story won't line up with what we're hearing. Yes. And Alec was the loving father of Paul and the loving husband of Maggie. You're not going to hear a single witness say that their relationship, Maggie and Alex's relationship, were anything other than loving. It goes straight into the um, next one with Dick Harputlian's uh, bite about being in... On the 911 tape, he is hysterical. He go, comes in and out. It's consistent if any of you... Have ever you you got to use your human your experience as part of this deliberation process your human experience you've ever suffered the catastrophic loss of a friend or a family member it's numbing it's, it, it's the minute you find out or if you see them dead it's numbing you go into shock so anything he said that night is is in the context of just an hour or two before finding his wife and son butchered. He drove back up to the house while he was on 911 saying, I gotta get a gun, that whoever did this might be out there. And he gets a gun. But what's fascinating about, about that is he gets a, a 12 gauge shotgun and he grabs some shells. They, these people hunt a lot, they have guns everywhere. He grabs some shells, he puts a 16 gauge, uh, I mean a, t- a 12 gauge, grabs a 12 gauge shotgun, put a 12 gauge buckshot in, and then he put a 16 gauge buckshot in. That's how shook up he was. Guy hunted all his life, and he put a shell in that wouldn't, uh, he couldn't fire a 16 gauge from a 12 gauge. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. Right. And probably the best way to try to explain how somebody who's an accomplished attorney, let's remember that. We're talking about somebody who's made a, had made a living. He really made it from stealing, but ostensibly he made it from representing people with problems and he would argue in court very fine points that this attorney would not remember because it was so traumatic to him going back to the kennels and it's my understanding we'll see how the proof goes but that this statement was made repeatedly to law enforcement the reason i think they have a number of statements because jackson versus deno this is the the requirement under the law that you have this have to have this hearing on, on the voluntariness of any statements to the police this defense waived that and we got right into his ability to say in opening uh, arguments that there were, there, there were multiple statements made. So I'm assuming he's stuck by this. I was never at the kennels, never at the kennels. And I'm understanding that he might have been confronted. And there was, a, there was a surprise to that. So I think this is a key part of the state's evidence and a key part of their theme of this case. We'll see how this case goes relative to the proof on this. Because here we are, opening statements, arguments, it's not evidence. But both sides laid out their view of what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. Drew, what did you think? Backing up for a second to the the prosecution setting the stage, I, I think Charlie made an excellent point there. And one of the things in that that I thought the prosecution did particularly well was managing expectations for the jury in saying – making that illusion that the allegory of the storm building, they made no bones about the fact that this is going to be a long trial. Mm-hmm. 
and it's going to take a while for us to fit the puzzle pieces together. But once you see the puzzle pieces together, and they, he really brought home the point of circumstantial evidence, right? Once you see all the puzzle pieces fit together with the circumstantial evidence, you're going to be able to come away with no other conclusion but that it was Alec and Alec alone who pulled the trigger and was responsible for these murders. Yes. Well, and, you know, and that takes me to, once again, what we kind of circling back to the beginning, talking about the family. Um, I remember when, when because literally Lynn was sitting right uh, in front of us, Lynn Murdoch, his sister, and they're talking about how he was in shock that night. And she's nodding her head like, nodding it, uh, yeah, nodding it. I do remember that. She was and, nodding. And she's, yes. she's going, that's exactly Just right. Up, yeah. He was in shock that night. Yeah. And, and Alec didn't remember right. what he was saying. Yes. You, know, you could just see yes. the wheels turning. And um, there was a lot of recognition of that, mm-hmm. um, which means... Team Murdoch was sitting in front of us to me. Right, right. Uh, this was not just a show. This was his family coming in to make sure that everybody knew that that they were supporting him. Yeah, not, and I, I guess I don't know why I'm surprised by this, but it, they just haven't talked. They haven't been at one pretrial mm-hmm, motion. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen them at the mm-hmm. bond hearings. Yeah, let me tell you what else I'm surprised about. And I don't know what the backdrop to this is, that I can't tell you the number of murder cases, capital cases I've prosecuted. It's almost a, really, I mean, the family of the murder victim or victims, they, of course, want to be there and see the justice is served. And Maggie's family, you tell me, I haven't seen them in any of these court proceedings. Which I'm no, a, we, you did point out the victim's advocate, though. Yeah, you know, we have a victim advocate there on behalf of. And by the way, I thought she was a little bit. I noticed she. I think she handed some Kleenexes to the defendant's family. And if yes. you step back from this, arguably they're victims too, right? Because That's they're related sure. to uh, right. They're related to um, Maggie by marriage and uh, Paul, right? So. She's playing a dual role, which I think must be hard. Well, and I little things I noticed, like I noticed that, um, and maybe it's just because they're family and they kind mm-hmm. of, you know, right. you tend to do a lot of the same things in a family. But I noticed that Alec, his son Buster, and John Marvin are pretty much wearing the same outfits. That's <laughs> true. Sure, they all was... had on navy blue blazers, <laughs> khaki true. pants, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. and the plaid shirts. I think yes. they all did. I could be wrong about that. Don't hold me to that. But I think. Um, they they were you know just we're all wearing open button. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's a, not a really good point too because I've noticed they're dressing the defendant in what I would call I don't know sort of business casual. Business casual they're not yeah. putting a tie on him to remind people perhaps of his former status as an attorney. Right. But they wanted him to appear open and uh, professional looking to a degree, but not over the top. So I think there's been a lot of planning. I think in terms of how to present this initially, and the family agreed to help out, and I think that is important to have family support there. And I'm curious, as this goes along, what Maggie's family must be feeling. Maybe they feel like it's just so traumatic they can't be there or won't be there or just watch it on television or not watch it at all. I don't know. Well, and also, I mean, they it'll be interesting to see how they interact with the jury going forward. I'm, I was trying to really give a – really take a look mm-hmm. at that, that the makeup of that jury. We've got a very strong female jury. Yes. Boy, that's uh, – um, I want to point out one thing, too. I thought just in observing it, because it's such an important part of a trial, it's often mm-hmm. overlooked, and we have a relatively informal proceeding uh, procedure in state court. But the defense did not use up all the free challenges, the peremptory challenges. They left, was it like seven or eight on the table, uh, which is typically surprising. Typically, they'll use up a number of them to, to get to 
put the state on the spot to burning up their strikes, which only has five. And I think they may have used three. So they were in the point they could have burnt them up where they had to. And so you would think they might have run through five more or so to get to somebody that they really liked on there. And the state would have been stuck with the person if they'd used up their ch- – that didn't happen. And also, uh, not here to criticize, but I thought the state seemed like they moved along faster with their decisions, and the defense kind of hung there. And the reason I think that could relatively be important or somewhat important, if a jury gets seated after standing up there, some of them – was it like a minute or so? A little uncomfortable, a little awkward. Yeah, and so – A little awkward. And there were one or two that actually got seated by the defense that went through that – I don't uh, know if I want you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I but so you don't, and, and, and that must feel weird. Yeah, I mean, especially with the level of uh, scrutiny with the media standing there, yeah, we're yeah, all staring yeah. at him too, right. and we're writing you know yeah. down yeah. descriptors so we can yeah. remember who looks like yeah. who and what. And, yeah, and I think um, what might be a, a part of the reason for that happening, I did notice that the defendant himself, he sat in the middle, he moved sure. over, and he was super actively involved in picking these jurors. Is, un, is that unusual? <laughs> Usually, of course, the defendant wants to get involved in this to some point, but he, to my experience, was the most involved. It's almost like he was doing it, right? Like he, 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 was, he, he was deciding, and they he were absolutely cons- was nodding or going mm-hmm. like this or leaning over if mm-hmm. he didn't want somebody, and they struck it. This is his case. To it be is. Tried. And I think with his legal experience and his background, he wanted to really be involved with this. But we've ended up, I mean, I like, to me, the jury looks like it's a fair cross-section. Drew, you could speak to this of Colleton County. Yeah. I, I had pulled this data not too long ago, and I don't have it right in front of me uh, at the very moment. But I think the latest census data shows Colleton County is about uh, – 35, maybe 40% African-American, I think closer to closer to 35 than 40. Uh, so, and I think nationwide, we're looking at a slight 51, 49, uh, male, female to male ratio. So I think a pretty, pretty mm-hmm. reflective jury mm-hmm. in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's reflective of the demographic and reflective of his peers. Yes. Yeah, um, and how many women are on it? Uh, I did think it's, it's, a, it's a majority. Women. It's a majority. Of yeah. And I think women. that's, uh, both, I know this. It was very obvious that the state was comfortable with with women. Very obvious, and I thought the defense was comfortable. So we've ended up with that's absolutely. And right. if you think yeah, about what's going on here, I suppose the state's thinking of we want people. Not that there's you know necessarily a great difference in the result here, but there are differences in approaching and how to to, to think through things. One might say, uh, oftentimes with uh, male versus female, and so I'm thinking that both sides felt very comfortable with whatever difference that might be there. They were comfortable having that being decided by mainly a, a, female, a jury. female jury. Yeah, it's it's two to one. I mean, it's eight to four. Mm-hmm. What so are that's the, unusual. What, what are the... The the breakdown is eight female and um, four males that are actually sitting on the jury. Mm-hmm. The 12. And then we have, of course, six alternates, a lot of alternates. Which um, came in at... Uh, how many? Um, yeah, we had five female. No, sorry, no, two females um, and four males mm-hmm. as alternates. What are the motifs in play here, Charlie? That that could influence the how you want the makeup of a jury to look. What are we have? Parent killing child. We have spouse killing spouse. What what else? What 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 goes into 
structuring a jury that way with your with your preferential strike. You know, one thing that I noticed about some of the strikes too, from because the state didn't use many, but they did tend to use them. Did you notice that? It seemed like there were one or two that used them on jurors that you would normally think would be very state friendly. I'm sure, talking sort of sure, the yeah. sort of the sort of the the, the male uh-huh. sort of like. Yeah. A little bit of, uh, you know, the, the stronger attorney, male. Or not a defensive, but wasn't there an... Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. You would think that they would, you know, normally. And so I wondered if it was more of a worry of, of speaking to this, Drew, you would know more about this than I were here in College County. That they, made, they were worried about... They had lots of reams of information, but there's some connections to the Murdoch, to hunting or otherwise, that, that maybe they, you know, were, were worried about the... Because there's one in particular I thought he looked like a prototypical great state juror. You know, it kind of looked like he'd be a law and order if, you know, right is right, wrong is wrong type person. And he struck. I couldn't help but wonder if there was some connection to the Murdoch's through hunting or taking care of property or something. Yeah. So one or two jurors went that really surprised me. Well, and there was a lot that we weren't privy to because once they got into some of the hard exemptions, they went back into judges' chambers, of course. Yes. and. They sort of so. Let's just talk about tomorrow. With tomorrow, we know that we now know for sure um, because basically Creighton Water said we're staying up all night until we get this figured out. Yes. But they want to make sure that they get this um, audiovisual equipment working so that we can see the body camera. Um, and then what else? We're probably going to just start with the hardest stuff first, right? Great question. I'm assuming that given the theme that he's outlined, that he wants to put the defendant and the victims at certain spots with scientific evidence. So we may, it can be kind of boring, but really important. And, but he has started off, I think, with a very dramatic piece of, of evidence that, that will capture the attention. And also, it's going to really show these jurors how serious this is. I think from the get-go, it'll be, this is serious business. And I couldn't help but think when, uh, you know, during jury selection, we were very close to them as well. I remember hearing one lady sigh. When she was uh, qualified, I don't think she actually sat, but it's a tremendous responsibility, it and is. I thank them for being willing to do it. Well, and on the other side of that, I actually heard is as the, they were <laughs> dismissing some of them, I had another. I, I actually wrote it down in my notebook that she goes, "Is ah oh, well, I almost got on it or something like that." <laughs> yeah, thought, bittersweet. Yeah, I guess I guess it was a it's a very momentous case. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of people that wanted to be kind of part of history maybe mm-hmm. in this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think absolutely so. Yeah. I mean uh, and it's it's a very difficult case not uh, to take away from like uh, uh the horrific uh, nature of what happened. I think it's yes. it's just maybe just because it's become mm-hmm. such a part of the story around here right now. They sort of just want to be on the end. They want to know what's going on in their community, and this is probably one of the best ways yeah, to Yeah, one it. interesting point, too. I would have thought there was going to be a long line of people wanting to get in the courthouse. There right. was not. No. There were a lot of empty seats. But there is a steady amount of foot traffic. There's a steady amount of foot traffic coming in and around downtown. I have seen mm-hmm. – uh, I've spoken to parents of mm-hmm. two childhood friends who've just – Three, make that three childhood friends who I've seen just around downtown. I spoke to a young man who's a new father who was uh, a kid I used to coach. Uh, okay. <laughs> they're they're that, making the rounds downtown, just kind of looking to see you know uh, yeah. see what what's going on. Yeah. Um, tomorrow, as far as what we can expect, I think probably 
we're going to get that body camera. We're going to get 911 calls, and we're going to get responding officers. It, it, that would make plenty of sense. Well, and I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't start digging deep into the cell phone video mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because that seems to be available mm-hmm. to them. So mm-hmm. maybe they'll yeah. start dealing yeah. with that, yeah. too. I don't know. I see on the witness list we have Chief Barry, Mc, Barry McCroy, who's the Tallahassee mm-hmm. County Fire Rescue Chief. Oh, yeah. He's all... It, Carlton County Fire Rescue is dual certified. They're firefighters and they're ah. paramedics. Barry, right. Barry will know. Mm-hmm. Barry will offer a lot of insight into what he's seeing and the mm-hmm. nature from a mm-hmm. the nature of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a he's a great witness. We've mm-hmm. uh, interviewed him a million times ourselves, so mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see what he has to mm-hmm. say. Well, until tomorrow, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, you can expect to see us. We're going to be really breaking this down for you as we go through this trial and uh, it's a fascinating case and we certainly um, will be bringing you the, the most important details of the day. So signing off for tonight. Thanks so much, Charlie Condon. Good to be with Drew you. Tripp, Max Harrison. I'm Ann Emerson. We'll see you soon. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.